You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Ah! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hang Time Podcast. Joining us now, Hawks executive Arthur Trish. Do you not have privileges with the rookies? You can't make them take care of that? You think I'm going to tell Ivan Johnson something? Are you crazy? I value my life. With your host, Gallius Anderson. Stops it now behind his head. Seku Smith and Lang Whitaker. The NBA's executive vice president of basketball, versus Stu Jackson, is joining us now on the podcast. I wanted to ask you, Stu, the players see you coming. Do they get out of the way now? No, the worst thing that happened to me was uh, caller ID. Sports editor of The Nation, Dave Zyron. Only the Knicks for $100 million would sign somebody with one eye and two microfracture surgeries. But shut my mouth. He's our most important New York Jew since Woody Allen. Now it's time for the tip-off. Oh, I missed that sound, the Hang Time Podcast. I love the intro. Love the music. Love the sound. Seku Smith from the Hang Time blog at NBA.com. Lang Whitaker, my partner in crime. Haven't seen you in a while. I know we've been on hiatus. How are you, my friend? I'm good, man. How was uh, how was your trip overseas for the Olympics? Good, man. I'm uh, I'm still recovering. Um, I'm trying to get my voice back. I, I kind of lost my voice somewhere between uh, Amsterdam and New York City on that nine-hour flight I had home. So. I thought it might have been too much. I thought maybe you're doing too much cheering at the uh, <laughs> tennis finals or something. No, they might. You, you saw somebody cheering over there during anything. It was me cheering during the uh, women's track and field finals, uh, uh-huh. the athletics finals, as they say. Um, what? Well, uh, so no, I, know, I, I know you went to all the basketball games and you, you yes. know, covered yes. USA basketball. What else did you get to go to? Oh, man, I, I got a chance to, you know, on the off days, we had practice, obviously. So you had to do practice. And then, you know, you try to squeeze in some visits to the other site uh, venues. I went to Wimbledon one day and, and uh, watched a little tennis. I got to see beach volleyball. Um, I got to see regular volleyball, women's hoops. Uh, I didn't get to the aquatics, and I never did get to see swimming. I got right. to see Usain Bolt win the 100 meters. I did get to go to the stadium several times and watch some track and field. Um, but my favorite might've been show jumping. That was my, really? my one. Yeah. My one thing was I have to go see Olympic show jumping. Cause they, now, is that the one I saw some of it on TV? The, well, I saw the one where they were like the dressage, I guess, where they're in the big ring and they're like the horses are walking and doing slow stuff. And then there was one where they had like the horses running around on this huge, like outdoor track sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, jumping over. Uh, yeah, like stuff. waterfalls yeah, and stuff, and yeah. Yeah, man, show jumping, baby. That's. Let me tell you something. Had I had I grown up anywhere near horses, and had a chance to, I'd I'd be a show jumper. I think that is the <laughs> sport of champions. I don't care what anybody says. Show jumping. You'd have to have a big horse. I'd have to have a big horse, <laughs> and uh, I'd have to I'd have to get myself schooled on how to get in those boots and all that other, all that other giddy up you got to wear. <laughs> I wonder if I wonder if Jordan Jordan makes show jumping boots because I don't wear anything. <laughs> was sneakers, it a, so. <laughs> the show jumping was the didn't it like uh, it was kind of like an outdoor thing. So did you just like stand in one place and the horses just come by? Oh, they got stands. I mean, they had stands too. I mean, it's listen. Okay. I I, I got to give it up to London for not only showing you know everybody a good time obviously, but man, they had some of the the best Olympic venues I can ever imagine somebody having. Man, it was right. It was put together fantastically. I mean, they had, they did a job. Now they, every venue was spectacular. You know, um, right? Every venue was spectacular, and and Wimbledon was as beautiful as anything I've ever seen. By the way, yeah. Um, I, I but watched, it was just it was top notch, man. It was top notch. I watched pretty much all day, every day, the different stuff, but never like. 
um, it, it was hard because well, you were there, so it was different. But it was hard for here because there was like five different channels. And you didn't know what was on when. You know, some stuff they tape delayed, so you didn't know when that was going to get shown or if it was going to get shown. Um, yeah. But uh, I watched a lot of the Olympic basketball, and I know you were there forever. So was that um, – how, how was that experience for you? It was great. I mean, it was. it's weird because – the atmosphere in the arena is so different during FIBA basketball compared to an NBA game. Um, the constant uh, sideline reported guy who's always narrating the action and talking throughout and they play music nonstop. It was, it's a little much on the ears. Like Oasis, <laughs> they play Oasis like nonstop. So I, <laughs> I, I have some, some songs in my head that I'm trying to get out right now um but the the games are great obviously and you got a chance to see some different international players who you maybe hadn't seen before alexi shved from russia who was a guy everybody was talking about you know coming out of there you know really opened some eyes uh marcelino uh huertas the uh, point guard from brazil you know it's fun watching good to see some guys maybe that you hadn't seen play in person you know the, the u.s team was obviously fantastic um you know i thought lebron durant you know, Kobe, Carmelo. I mean, they they were top to bottom fantastic and uh, great to deal with. Um, I, you know, the one the one the one weird thing for me was it's hard to uh, uh, you know you calling home and, and wifey's like she's five hours behind, so you can't exactly call home and tell her all the stuff that went on that day because she's like, great, thanks for the spoiler. You know, <laughs> yeah. we don't have to watch. You know, so those yeah. calls home were a little weird, you know, because they didn't they didn't want to hear about what you had going on over there. They just want to, don't tell us what happened because we're going to sit down and watch the Olympics tonight. But, uh, yeah. yeah. But, no, it was, man, I, it was just, you know, everybody has those things, I guess, in your career that you say you, you got to cover one of these. I went to the uh, Summer Games in 84. I was a kid. My parents took us out to LA for the whole summer to watch the game. So, yeah, to be able to come back this, you know, t- almost thirty years later, and and cover games in London in person like that is just, uh, you know, it's it's a pretty wild ride. That's pretty cool. I went to the '96 games in Atlanta pretty much every day. Went to different events, mm-hmm. and um, I had a. I just thought it was one of the coolest sports experiences I've ever had. Um, you know, when I did that dream team story for GQ. I, when, when I was talking right. to the players, Barkley said, you know, the one thing he said, he said it three or four times when I was on the phone with them was that, you know, the Olympics was one of the greatest experiences of his life, not just the games, but just the whole thing. Um, so he said like, you know, he tells everyone you should go to the Olympics at least once in your life. Um, you know, not even just, uh, not even just, as a player, just if you're a fan of sports, you should go to the Olympics once in your life and experience that thing. And I, I totally agree. I think it's if you can go, it's a pretty incredible thing to to be able to go to. Yeah, I, I agree 100. percent And I think, uh, you know, like I said, when I saw my first Olympics in person, I was a kid. I, I think I had a cut off "Where's the Beef" T-shirt on, you know, running <laughs> around LA. Um, you know, I was like, I was like still playing with matchbox cards, whatever. But I. I, I knew enough to know that it was the Olympics and it was yeah. a big deal. Um, this time around, which is really strange, is was watching the American, you know, the, the NBA players that were there and how giddy they were to see right. the, the other athletes perform. And they they were they were as giddy as any track aficionado when it came time to go watch, you know, Usain Bolt in the yeah. hundred meters. I mean, they were that you couldn't get out of practice fast enough. You know, they canceled a couple of practices. For the, for the basketball team over there. And we were like, why is practice canceled? Then we look at the schedule, and it's like, oh, you know, <laughs> players want to get out to see some of these other events. And, yeah. and I think they understood that after Beijing. Kobe talked about it a little bit that, you know, in 50 years, you want to be able to tell your grandkids about your experiences. Yeah. And in addition to NBA championships and, you know, the years you played in the league, you want to be able to tell them you were there when the world record was set in something or – Sure. When a when a gold medal was won by another great athlete, another sport, and I think that was the main takeaway from it is just how how much appreciation these world class athletes have for each other, and the fact that they only get to get you know get around each other um, on rare occasions. With the Olympics, it's once every four years right. if you're lucky enough to be a part of it. Yeah, I Carl Malone talked about when when he was over in Barcelona that they he saw a documentary about Oscar De La Hoya. 
who at the time was on the U.S. boxing team, and he thought it was a great story. And he said, you know, in his mind, he thought, well, maybe this guy's going to grow up and be like a world champ, and it would be neat to go see him. <laughs> so he went, and he, he went to like three or four of Oscar De La Hoya's matches and got to be friends with his dad and hung right. out with the De La Hoya family a whole bunch over in Barcelona. Um, and a lot of those guys went to whatever they could get into. They didn't even have tickets sometimes, but they would just kind of show up and try to talk their way in, and they could you know, because of who they were and how famous they were. Uh, did you see the video of uh, Durant, Harden, and I can't remember who it was. might have been Westbrook playing uh, volleyball with Missy Mae and uh, <laughs> yeah. Gary Walsh. Oh, yeah. That was pretty funny. I, I thought that was cool to see them get out there and give it a shot. Um, well, uh, well, Micah, Micah did a post about it, um, about the way the players were kind of, you know, doing an Instagram yeah, you know, instant Instagram photo album of their Olympic experience, man. And I'm telling you, it's the the beautiful thing about the technology we have around now is that you can have that instant, you know, uh, feedback and stuff about what you're seeing. I mean, you can't ask for a better setup than than what these guys had, man. It was it was a I can't tell you the weather, the people, the venues, you know, just the entire experience. The, yeah. the Olympics is truly something. I agree with Barkley. You got it. You have to attend it in some form or fashion at one time in your life. And I've done it with the crowds and the and without a credential. I've done it with a credential. I'll take either one of them. You know, in 2016, you give me either one in Rio, I'll take it. I think we need to do live podcasts <laughs> from Rio. To I'll take that. But, uh, we'll even let Gerald go on the road with us if they, you know, if he'll take his Colts pom poms off long enough to. Uh, to come ride with us. <laughs> I'm down for that. And, I, you know, I thought listening to the athletes, like listening to the players and the coaches from other places, man, it's the idea that you would spend your whole life. And, and I talked with this, with Darren Williams about this specifically, the idea that you would spend like your whole life working to, to be in the Olympics. And the fact that some people do that and yeah. their first heat of their first event, they're done. You know, <laughs> he was like, man, that is unbelievable. The, time and effort and energy somebody might put into making the Olympics and it all comes undone in the first couple of minutes you're there. I totally agree. And I, I, I told my wife this when we were watching the Olympics, I could watch all day, every day, even these sports I don't know anything about just because (laughs) like, like uh, the the rowing or the canoeing, you know, that one, I, when I was watching, I was like, I don't know who these people are, but I know that they've worked for four years. And now, now that four years comes down to 10 seconds or whatever, yeah. 60 seconds. And that's going to determine pretty much a lot about their life, this next 60 seconds. And to me, that's that's unbelievably compelling. I don't know how anyone can not watch that and, and not be interested in, in what you're seeing out there. So I, I, I thought it was pretty awesome. And, and, you know, to talk more about Team USA, just before we move on, was, was did you think – I thought the gold medal game was the, the closest – to me, it looked like anyone had the chance to knock them off. What was your take on that? I, I never felt in in being in the arena and sensing like you know you know yeah the hair starts standing up on the back of your neck when you yeah. think you got a chance to see someone. I never felt nervous for Team USA. I never once felt like oh this game could go the other direction. You know what I mean? So yeah, um, that, that's just me. You know. I could be wrong. Maybe it was closer than it felt, but inside the arena, I never felt it. And I don't even think, I don't even think the fans from the other countries thought it could happen. Like when Lithuania played them close, you would think the Lithuanian crowd would have been in there going bananas. They were sitting on their hands. Cause it was almost like they knew, well, they'll turn it on at some point. Right. You know, LeBron, LeBron will get the ball at some point and win the game or, you know, what have you. So, um, the Spain game was was much the same. I never had a sense that Spain had a chance to win that game. It was a good competitive game and all that, I agree. But, you know, every time Spain did something, Durant would come back and catch a, you know, catch a pass from somebody and hit a three. Or, right. you know, LeBron goes to the rim and makes a, a basket. It, was just, it just didn't – it had a sense of inevitability to it, sitting there watching it in person. And I, our first guest might have a, 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 his own opinions about it. Kurt Elin from NBC's Pro Basketball Talk joins us now for the first time ever on the Hang Time Podcast. Kurt, how are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on, Seiko. And hey, Wayne. Hey, man. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Um, did, you, did you feel like uh, LeBron and these guys were ever 
close to, to slipping over the edge and, and dropping one of those games in London? Or or did the close ones look close but not, not not like anything they really, really had to worry about at the end? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think they were going to lose a game. I mean, the only team that was really going to beat them was them. I mean, it was going to yeah. take, you know, a puncher's chance type of game where Durant couldn't hit a three and LeBron was – not driving the lane and taking over, and Kobe was off, and you were going to have to have all these things come together on a night another team was hot. And Spain's a good team. I mean, Spain's capable yeah. if, if you give them some room, but it was just going to take everything coming together. And I did you know, once you saw Durant shooting in the gold medal game, I'm like, yeah, they're not losing this thing. <laughs> <laughs> I was a little nervous down the stretch of that gold medal game, like third quarter, fourth quarter when it was tight. I was I was just sitting here on my couch watching it, but I was, I noticed my leg was bouncing up and down a little bit. Like I was, <laughs> I just wanted to yeah. see how it was going to end up. But the, the big story, aside from the Olympics this summer, has been the the L.A. Lakers, um, and we haven't really had a chance to talk about it much because Seku's been over in jolly old England for the last <laughs> month. But, uh, the Dwight Howard acquisition obviously is the the, the big trade this summer. Um, have you had time to kind of think about it and think how this is going to work, how he's going to fit in? What what does this to you mean for the Lakers? I, I think it moves them back right up to the content, top contender status. I'm kind of a guy who believes in tiers. I know I'll tell you in Lakerland, you know, out here in Los Angeles, it's now title or bust again. It, it <laughs> like it was 2003 or something, you know, with the Kobe Shaq Lakers or something. It, there's no middle ground. There's there's not a lot of black, you know, gray shades of gray in Lakerdom. Yeah. You know, it's it's black and white titles or you failed, and they're kind of back on that. To me, I think I'm kind of a big believer in tiers. Like you move to a championship tier with this move for the Lakers, they are one of the probably three teams with Oklahoma City and Miami that have a really good shot. And then there's some other teams like Boston and that where they need a couple things to break for them. But right. then maybe. But I think this puts them right back there. It's going to be interesting to see how – I don't think it's going to take them a you know, terribly, terribly long time to fit, figure this out. I don't think it's going to take maybe a full season or, or two. But it's going to take a little bit just because there's a lot of new pieces. And, yeah. you know, Kobe's going to work more off the ball. You've got to run some – they're talking about running Princeton offense. But yeah. if you don't use Steve Nash and Dwight Howard in pick and roll, you know, you're kind of doing it wrong. And so I think even Mike Brown's going to get that one. <laughs> Kurt Heelan of uh, NBCSports.com's Pro Basketball Talk has joined us, the blogger-in-chief himself. Kurt, do you feel like this this ceremonious dumping of Andrew Bynum and replacing him with Dwight Howard is, is an indictment of Bynum by the Lakers or simply a, an acknowledgement by the Lakers that, hey, Dwight Howard's the best of the best and we got a chance to get him and it'll give us a chance to keep him potentially long-term and it had to be done i mean was there any any part of the move that went down that to you that was kind of a signal that hey bynum might not be the dominant force you think he is when he's out of a lakers uniform yeah i don't think they trusted bynum's maturity like they trust dwight howard and it sounds weird mm-hmm. because i know like it's right now it's just you know after the dwight marriage, <laughs> dwight's getting ripped up one side and yeah. down the other is not not exactly handling his business well but, I mean, the guy has always handled his business on the court. You know, three-time defensive player of the year. Even last year, battling through his back through part of that season was at 20 points a game, 14 rebounds, shot 57% for a league high, was just kind of a, a, a force of nature out there, um, is an arguable MVP candidate in a year he's healthy. There just aren't other guys like that. And with Bynum, he's capable of big things, but he's not as good defensively. He doesn't pass out of the double team as well. Right. He's, and he doesn't bring it every night. He, he, he has these moments of flippant attitude, and I think they weren't going to trade Bynum for much. They really liked him, but Howard was a clear upgrade. And more than that, just not only a title you know, run with Steve Nash and Kobe the next you know, two or three years while they keep this group together, right. but he's now the bridge to beyond that. You know, he, he, they, don't, they reload. They don't reset with him. You know, they, they're able to just keep going as long as they can keep him inked. Well, there's two other things that to me kind of jump out about this this deal, and one being uh, Andrew Bynum was about a seventy percent free throw shooter. Yeah, yeah. Dwight Howard is is not, um, and and I wonder if teams. I mean, is this going to be the way you stop the Lakers if if there's any 
question. You just hack a Dwight and send him to the line. Um, I mean, he shot 49% last season from the free throw line. I, I, that's yeah. one thought. But then the other thought, and I'll just throw these out there for you. Um, right now, if you look at the Lakers roster, their, their bench is <laughs> Steve Blake, Chris Duhon, Jordan Hill, uh, Jody Meeks, Devin Ebanks, Antoine Jameson, Earl Clark, Andrew Gaudelock, Darius Morris. N- not a lot of uh, uh, big-time guys coming off that bench, I think, right now. So how do they address the bench? And then does the Dwight free throw thing even matter? I mean, you also have Steve Nash, who's maybe the best free throw shooter ever, <laughs> playing yeah. with him. Yeah, yeah Hack and Nash is far less effective. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to be running that. Yeah. The, I bet that they end up having to do what what Van Gundy ended up having to do, which is as much offensive, defensive substitutions and some stuff at the end of the game. Um, yeah. I guess once you're inside two minutes, things change. But even then, like if he got near the ball, you'd, just, you'd foul him before he could do anything. Um, but there's, I, I don't think scoring the ball is going to be their problem. I mean, it really wasn't their big problem last year. Now you've added Steve Nash and Dwight Howard. I, I think they're going to put up points. Um, even with the bench, I think the bench is a little bit of concern. Jamison is kind of a volume guy now. Meeks is actually yeah. a, a nice little pickup for what they're paying for him. Um, you know, if Steve Blake ever finds his three-point shooting again, he'd be a, a welcome addition, you know, uh, helping stretch the floor. But I, I, I think that... Isn't this just kind of the way of teams right now? I mean, I think you're seeing it with Miami where they don't, you know, haven't been able to put together a great bench and just able to hope they can put the guys together. And I think when you see Ibaka and now, you know, they're going to, whatever they're going to end up doing with Harden, probably trying to sign him long term. I mean, isn't kind of all the great teams kind of going to be in the same place now with this, with this cap and with this right. new luxury tax? I mean, it seems to me a lot of teams are going this direction. Yeah, I agree, Kurt. And I think, the, you know, great question lying about the free throw shooting, but with so many options at the end of games, you know, I guess you could do the Hackett Dwight approach, but the Lakers, to me, the the one thing they've done by getting Nash and Dwight to go along with, with Kobe and Gasol is now you've made it really impossible to focus on one guy at the end of a game. Right. Um, you know, if your attention's focused on Dwight, you got three other guys who can, who can beat you. Um, yeah. You know, and to me, Bynum was never a guy. This, and this was the reason I asked about the Lakers and whether or not they they felt like something was missing with Bynum. I never felt like Bynum was a takeover guy at the end of a game, and I think Kobe never viewed him that way. And I, and I was wondering, maybe is this not only a bridge beyond Kobe, but but a bridge to maybe a different Lakers team? I mean, where once Kobe's gone, maybe Dwight doesn't need a second star like Kobe to play with. Maybe he needs, uh, you know, three or four other really good players, but maybe not. You don't have yeah. to have three or four superstars in their prime or two or three in their prime to win with a guy like Dwight. He got he got the magic to the finals without another legitimate superstar on the roster. Yeah, and I, I think you will eventually see the Lakers possibly or probably evolve into a team a little bit like Orlando in the sense of, you know, we're going to put a, somebody who can create from the perimeter – we're going to have Dwight Howard, and then we're just going to space the floor with shooters and, yeah. you know, and, and make you try to cover Ryan Anderson somewhere. You know, it, we can just put out guys who can knock down shots. And I, that's a pretty good strategy. I mean, they, they've made it to the finals. They won a lot of games that way, like you said, on a, on a kind of a shoestring budget in a lot of ways. I mean, yeah. they never really had – Jameer Nelson had some nice years, but they've never had that second guy who was nearly like anything. And with the Lakers this year, I think, you know, what's going to be interesting is I think – you saw a lot of Kobe in London. I think you're going to see him more in that role, like taking mm-hmm. on maybe playing some defense, you know, first on some games and not focusing on his offense. And B, he was working off the ball, doing some curls, less of that kind of. There were a few moments of the the classic Kobe. Well, I'll wait for the double team, <laughs> then I'll shoot over it. Right. <laughs> but but I think he's going to do less of that now, and I think he can work off the ball and do you know. He's not going to become Ray Allen, but you're going to see a little more of that in his game. I think. Yeah. You, you mentioned the the thunder and James Harden and, you know, coming up next summer, he, they're going to have to figure out what to do with him. They, they've obviously resigned or agreed with Serge Ibaka to an ex, four year extension, but what do you think happens with, with Harden coming up next year? I, I just don't think you can let him go. I think he's part of the core that to me, I think that they're going to go the route. I mean, they're going to end up having to pay some tax. Um, and, 
A, they're going to try to get Harden to take a little less than the max. We'll see if he's willing to do that because, you know, there are teams out there, if he becomes a restricted free agent next summer, Dallas and a few of these teams very well may, there's other teams out there with cap space, make him a max offer. But they've said they were going to, you know, we'll see. You know, know, Clay Bennett and the ownership has said they were going to keep this core together. They were willing to pay some tax to do that. But I think that they're going to become like everybody else. You know, it's like we'll put our – We'll put our good four players together, ship them out there. I bet, I bet they amnesty Perkins. And right. then, you know, then try to fill <laughs> in with, you know, the Eric Mainers of the world and hope that they can get, you know, some good young players and draft well and find some good young guys to fill in, and that'll be good enough. Kurt, I, I hate to bring up the Clippers curse, but, you know, seeing that you're <laughs> a resident of the, of the L.A. Basin, just when the Clippers start getting some headlines, you know, Blake Griffin, Chris Paul, you know, magical season playoffs. Here come the Lakers with Steve Nash <laughs> yep. and Dwight. Seriously, I mean, what what does a Clippers fan have to do out there to get any justice? <laughs> it's, it's hard. And, you know, my first, I'll tell you, my first job, I mean, first job ever as a kid was as a 16-year-old as an usher and ticket taker for, well, for the building, but working Clipper games. I mean, I, huh. I've watched more Clipper games up close as a, as an usher than I care to admit. And, you know, back when they were terrible. <laughs> um, but it was, you know, so I have a soft spot for them in my heart, and, and I want to see them, I want, kind of want to see them succeed. But this is just, yeah, exactly. This is such an L.A. thing. And, look, the Lakers are the one, with the NFL gone from Los Angeles and the Dodgers having gone through, you know, you, oh, wow, you can't find a worse owner than Fox. Wait, we did. Um, <laughs> it, 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 there isn't a generational team out here that people care about except for the Lakers. That's the one thing everybody – I mean, there are Clipper fans out here, but the Lakers – the city will never get excited for the Clippers the way they do the Lakers. It's just right. – it's more – as much as this can be a transient city, that's the one generational sport out here in the way people pass down, you know, Green Bay Packers season tickets. Right. And, and it's – I feel bad for the Clippers because they, they may be – I mean, they may be the third best team in the West. And yeah. they're still going to be going to struggle to find time on Sports Talk Radio to discuss how great Chris Paul is out here. Yeah, it's sad. I mean, I, we asked Chris Paul about it in London, and of all the players who were kind of dismissive of the, you know, the big move and yeah. Dwight showed up, yeah. he was the one guy who like he looked at us like he wanted to rip somebody's head off. Like, you seriously <laughs> asking me about the Lakers and Dwight? You know, <laughs> I, I just feel bad for him. It's a tough. It's a tough deal. Chris I, is. Chris is maybe one of the most competitive guys. Like when you're around him, he's kind of low key, and he's not like you know you don't think of him like like Kobe or, or Garnett. But like right. you talk to him in the locker room for a while, you talk to him for a little. That guy's fiery. Yeah. Right. Oh, the one thing also that I think it's worth mentioning is you know we we're talking about the Lakers in this trade, but out of the you know this is a, a what a four team deal. Um, yeah. Which other team do you think benefited the most for, from this deal? Yeah. I've tried to be good to the magic and say, you know, we'll, we'll see. Because I think really, you know, we'll see what happens with the draft picks because that's about the best you can say for them. They, they picked their course and they've gone that way. But, man, you know, if you're going to rebuild and Bynum's 24 and you can get him, doesn't that – just yeah. to me that kind of move makes a little more – it makes more sense than Brooke Lopez. I, I, I yeah. never really loved the Nets <laughs> deals for them. But, but I think Philadelphia gets interesting only for two reasons. A – this is the big Bynum experiment. I mean, he clearly wanted to be the man a little bit more in L.A. He, he wanted that role. You know, he's got it now, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, he is the front and center face of the franchise now. The offense is going to run through him. Um, he's going to have to deal with the double teams. He's going to have to do, you know, everything he thinks he wants and, and, you know, be careful what you wish for, he's getting now. And we'll see if, you know, Philly is a great city if you work hard. They love, you know, for all his flaws – Allen Iverson brought it nightly, yeah. and yeah. that endeared him to the Philly fans. Bynum hasn't always done that, and if he takes some nights off, takes some games off, and is kind of flippant about it afterwards, you know, Philly fans are they, – they demand that kind of effort, so it's going to be interesting. But yeah. I think I like what they did in this concept. Boston, they're going to go small. They're going to put KG at the five. You know, Miami is going to go small. They're going to run a lot of Chris Bosh at the five. Go big. <laughs> run a front line out there of Bynum and, and Spencer Hawes, go the other direction, and make people adjust to you and see how it goes. I don't think that's a bad strategy. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I also I'm curious to see how Denver. I think adding yeah. Iguodala to that team, you know, they already had so many just crazy athletic guys, and you add yeah. one of the most athletic guys. That's going to be something fun to watch. But, yeah. uh, he may be the perfect George Carl player. I mean, just defends, <laughs> closes. I mean, he's going to be great for them. It's, if you're picking out there your fantasy teams, I'd bump Iggy up the list. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm upset that I hadn't thought about that until you mentioned it, about Andrew Bynum facing the Philadelphia media and, and the tabloids every day for the next season. This, this season is already setting up to be one of my favorites, Kurt. But <laughs> every day there's something new that I, that I remind myself, I cannot wait until training camp starts. Um, yeah. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah, I, I, the blogger-in-chief exactly. himself joining us here on the Hangtime Podcast for the first time, Kurt Heelan from NBCSports.com's Pro Basketball Talk. Can we get you on again uh, once the season kicks off, my man? Uh, anytime you want. For you, anything. You know, and Lang, <laughs> sort of. So. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Listen, man, we appreciate it, Kurt. And enjoy anytime. the, the last Talk to you guys soon. Your All right. Thanks, Kurt. Take care. You know, what I, you know what I think, too, Lang, before we – turn the page on that conversation is for years we've been saying, I wonder what this guy might be like without the security blanket of the Lakers and Kobe and that whole infrastructure. Bynum, what I hope he understands this. I hope he can comprehend. He comprehends this fact. He is on full display now as, as a surefire superstar. He's coming off his first trip to the all-star game. He's now in a city that does not suffer foolishness, a, a fan base that does not put up with nonsense from their athletes. They expect you to play and compete at a certain level. And even when you do achieve at a high level, as Donovan McNabb will tell you, they have no mercy on you. So, I mean, to me, this is this is Andrew Bynum in the cauldron this year, you know, in terms well, of his and, performance and how he responds. I mean, look at even Iguodala. You know, if you're going to talk about a guy, if, if they're going to – Root for a guy who, who works really hard and, and, you know, plays hard all the time. That That's what Dre does. And uh, I, I he was never fully, like, embraced in Philadelphia. And maybe that's because he came following the Allen Iverson era, you know. Um, but I, I, I do think in Philadelphia, I've seen people talking about how excited the city is right now talking about basketball at this time of year. And normally this is all Eagles or, or Phillies talk. So I do think that, that picking up Bynum helps him out a lot. Uh, at least in terms of just moving the conversation toward the Sixers. And um, I guess we get to see basketball-wise how it goes. No doubt about it. Um, again, thank our, our good friend, Kurt Heenan, from uh, NBCSports.com's Pro Basketball Talk. We hadn't had him on. We should have. I'm glad we did get a little L.A. perspective, a guy who's been around there for a long time. And, again, sorry, Clippers fans. We know you were feeling good about your summer, and then the Lakers happened. Yeah. Uh, Seku, our next guest is on the line now, and, and this is a, an interesting story here. I, uh, I, I've i been a fan of the Flaming Lips for a long time. The first song I learned how to play on the guitar was She Don't Use Jelly, and then I've been a fan of theirs for the last couple decades. And uh, But I was not aware that Wayne Coyne, the lead singer of the Flaming Lips, was a sports fan until uh, a couple of months ago when the Thunder were making their run through the playoffs and uh, a video popped up online of, of one of the Flaming Lips songs that he had rewritten into a Thunder Up, a fight song. And so uh, <laughs> I emailed Mike. I was like, let's see if we can get Wayne Coyne on, on NBA.com here to talk to us about this. So we have him on the phone now. Well, well, well thank you, Lang. That, uh, <laughs> that, that set this up perfectly. And I, I would not deny um, that I'm, I'm, you know, I like sports, and I think I, um, I, think I was more involved in uh, the sports uh, mostly based on, you know, the, the, the Sooners, you know, down at the college at OU in Norman, sure. the Sooners, when we were younger. And um, it would be easy to get caught up in these things because they're so, they're just so big. I mean, everywhere that we would go when we were, you know, um, previous to the Thunder being here, you know, there would be Sooner fans out there. And yet I, I'm not really fans of every, you know, all football or all basketball, but it was easy to get caught up in it because the Sooners are, are con, you know, consistently, you know, considered out there in the world. So it's interesting. And then um, when the Thunder, you know, first came along, um, I, I don't know if, if anybody thought of it too much. You know, I think there was uh, the, the thing that was, um, you know, they were traded from Seattle. We didn't know how long that would last. But then it's so explosive, and you can't, right. well, can't go anywhere locally here without it being, you know, the only thing that people talk about. And it's wonderful. So, 
it, 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 I'm not I'm not like a sports fan per se, but it it isn't untrue to say that I'm uh, that I am a sports fan. So I'm caught a little bit in like I don't want it to appear that I'm just a, a fair weather fan. I mean I love it when the whole world is involved, um, but I wouldn't I would say I don't always follow it. So as the interview goes, you may ask me things and I'd be like I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> That's all right. Lang, Lang talks about stuff he knows nothing about all the time, so it's uh, it ought to work out great. <laughs> nice. That's a, little, a little bit of the show I heard. I think I, I think I was I was realizing that already. <laughs> well, actually, I had one thing I, I thought of was I don't know how often I know you're on the road a lot, Wayne. I don't know how often you get to actually go to games in person, but one of the things that the Flaming Lips are known for is, is your live show. Um, you know, the fans are really involved. It's, it's a lot of back and forth between you and the fans, and you involve the crowd in different ways than a lot of live bands do. I didn't know how much of that plays into you being a fan of the NBA or being a fan of the Thunder and getting to go to the games and, and experience that sort of crowd mentality in person. Well, I mean, you know, they, when I get invited to the games and I'm here and able to go, I, uh, you know, of course, I go. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm mostly there for my own entertainment, but I can see <laughs> where it does add to this, you know, this flavor, the local flavor. I, I, a lot of people, honestly, at the, at the, um, the Thunder Games, I'm not really sure they know who I am, but there's, there's a segment of people, you know, they're obviously watching it on TV and all that to say, wow, you know, there's Wayne at the, at the game. He, he's like the Jack Nicholson of, <laughs> and I try to remind myself, I don't, I don't think it, it will ever be on the level of Jack Nicholson watching is it the Lakers that he's watching. Um, but, um, but it's fun. I mean, I love that. And, and it, like I said, I think a part of it is true. I mean, you know, when I go around the world, I was just recently in Berlin. And mm-hmm. previous to the Thunder being so, you know, so, I, I, you know, they're so interesting to people. It, isn't, it, it seems like it's crossed over from just being about they play basketball well because there's something – about their character that people really root for. Right. And there were several people that I talked to would say, um, you know, I never liked basketball, but now I do. I love the Thunder. And I, you know, and I, I say, wow, that's, that's such a great thing. And so um, we'll see, you know, Thunder jerseys and hats out there, you know, even being in Italy and being in Spain. You know, you see them in the crowd. Um, and there's obviously a connection that we're from Oklahoma and maybe people are wearing them because they don't okay. know the connection. So, um yeah, I mean, to me, it's all, it's all for, for the good. I can see the energy and the happiness in the community when we win, but I don't like the idea that it diminishes us a little bit if we lose. I always say, you know, the Thunder's there just to bring us up, and, you know, it's, it's hard to be a consistently great team the way they are, and if they lose, I don't want them to think, oh, my God, Oklahoma City is depressed for the next week. But a part of that's true. You know that. You know, you, you can't go up without coming down, you know. Right. No question. Wayne, do you – I mean, what kind of intrusion on on for OU fans – and I mean a pleasant intrusion to have something else other than the Sooners to kind of snatch up some of that attention. I'm sure Bob Stoops appreciates it every now and then when he needs to get, a, you know, the spotlight off of him and his football program if they're not doing great. But uh, what kind of intrusion was that for fans to have something other than the Sooners get this kind of attention in Oklahoma City? Well, I don't, you know, to me, I, I'm not sure that the Sooners would notice it that much. I think it was, it, it was all about me. See, they used to just pay attention to me, <laughs> now they pay attention to the Thunder. So I, I'm the one that's crushed by it. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I think, um, you know, the Sooners, for as much as it's about Oklahoma, you know, Oklahoma does get very split between – um, you know, the Cowboys from Stillwater and Tulsa mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, removes itself from being involved in Oklahoma City. So, you know, the Sooners are from Norman, and Norman is the celebrated, has always been the celebrated city, but the, the Thunder is truly, truly from Oklahoma City. So I think it's a little bit that, that finally, mm-hmm. you know, Oklahoma City, this little, you know, this work-a-day sort of, you know, Midwestern community suddenly is, you know, the eyes of the world. And you know, oftentimes at the beginning of the, the televised games anyway, you know, they'll show this sort of helicopter shot of the, the metropolis right. that they're playing in. And, <laughs> you know, if they're playing in some place like, you know, New Orleans or Los Angeles or something, it's, it's this mega place. And Oklahoma City is not very big, but we're always surprised at how the helicopter makes it look 
like this glamorous, giant, beautiful city. Come here and live and thrive. And, it's, and then when you walk outside, you're like, it doesn't look like it does. <laughs> um, and I think people really, really love that kind of attention, you know. And, right. and it is really this pride that people feel. I mean, you know, it is an abstract pride, you know, as good as, as, good as we want to feel about the team they have to play. And they're the ones that really do all the work. Um, and, it, and this idea of hometown pride is a little bit, it isn't something that I'm used to. I mean, I went to mm-hmm. one of the playoff games, not this year, but the previous year, where the Lakers, I mean, I'm not really that familiar with any of the teams except for the Thunder, and I was not aware of how good the Lakers were. And I would be standing or sitting there watching the game, and when something great would happen that the Lakers did, I would kind of applaud, like, man, that is just amazing to see people play that well. And the people behind me, they're a little bit drunk, and they're like, Dude, you know, you can't say good for them. And so, you know, to me, I would, you know, when I see something well done, I just am, am glad whether it's they're from Oklahoma City or from Mars. I don't really care. But I see where, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not the true fan who is supposed to despise, you know, our, our opponents and love our, our local guys. I just, I, if it's well done, I, I can't help but, you know, respond. Well, the reason we obviously wanted to, to initially you got on our radar was because you guys did the song, um, you remade racing for the prize, one of your songs. And now it's thunder up racing for the prize. Just tell us, how did that come about? And, and how did you, some, I think I read somewhere you, you kind of crowdsourced some of the lyrics and stuff. How, how did that song come about? And, well, we, well, we did, you know, it's, it's this song of ours, um, has been played, you know, when the victory seems, like, oh, my God, you know, here's this great story. I mean, it wouldn't apply, I suppose, to maybe a team like the Lakers that wins all the time, but it, it feels like, you know, under the, under the impossible odds, they win. And that's really what our song is kind of about. But, you know, it started to apply, especially in this last run up to the, to the end of the playoffs when they, when they didn't win, how here's this little team, and they're doing this, you know, they're, they're overcoming the big obstacle. Sure. And, of course, we've had the song. You know, people have used the song. The mayor here used it in his campaign and when he won. Um, they played this song. And it's, it's, it's a popular enough song um, that everybody relates to it as a flaming up song, but also with this other meaning. Now, when we turned it into the Thunder Up, which was, you know, we asked on my Twitter account mostly, like, what would, we, what would be the lyrics? And a lot of the lyrics that people sent in um, – you know, I'm not sure how serious they were taking a lot of, you know, silly things about, you know, the, the, I, there was some controversy going on about world peace and stuff like that that to me felt kind of topical that if this is going to be a song that got used next year, perhaps the year after, that we wouldn't want it to be, you know, mired in some controversy that was happening now. So I think we mostly just took the approach of it being this idea that we are, we are proud to be from Oklahoma City, so we said Oklahoma City a lot in it, and mostly we just say, thunder up! <laughs> so, <laughs> I think like a lot of great <laughs> sports songs, um, you know, without, without all the, the music and the cheering that goes with it, it's really just it's kind of empty and silly, but with all that stuff in it, it feels like, we don't know why, but we just want to win, you know, and, and that, that was kind of the success that we came to at the end, you know, it just, just feels like it's better to win than lose, you know. And, uh, but I think the music you know, sh- shows the emotion and shows the, the the triumphant, you know, human nature aspect of it. But um, I could be wrong. It could just be people like to get drunk and win basketball. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was curious. I, I was over at the Olympics, and I was watching the uh, the U.S. basketball players, and, and three of those guys were Thunder players, and watching how much they admired the other athletes playing, you know, competing and playing at – at an Olympic level, really at a world-class level. Is there a part of you as an entertainer and as a performer who has to get on stage under those lights, you know, when, when you go out and do your thing, that appreciates what the Thunder specifically and what those other NBA guys go out and do, having to perform in front of those crowds and, and kind of under that pressure? Is there any kind of, you know, kind of a kindred spirit amongst high-level entertainers and athletes that you, that you feel when you're watching other guys do that? Well, yeah, I think that's why, not just Oklahoma City, I think that's why people are drawn to them, because they're young and they seem humble and they seem aware that, you know, the thing, the way that you are and the things that you say, it's not just the way you play. 
Um, and everybody here in the local community knows how much they give back to the community, knows how much they aren't just saying, well, we're big stars, let's, you know, let's, let's party and have fun. They really do seem to care. And this idea that um, I think it comes across when you see them and the things that they say, even the way that they play. I, I'm sure sometimes when they're playing, um, they have to be totally self, self-absorbed into what they're doing. But sometimes it's just apparent. You can see how much they respect the other players. And, you know, maybe that changes as years go and they become a team that's used to winning and it becomes more gossipy and more controversial or whatever. But for them to be this young and to know, to have some, some awareness of that, and maybe they're not, you know, purposely aware of it. Maybe it's just the way, you know, that especially Kevin Durant, you know, there is this, there is just something pure about him um, that we all, you know, hope doesn't change because he's such a celebrated um, right. star. Um, and we don't know if it will or not. But, you know, I think that's, that's the heart of the team. That's the real face of it. That's the humility of the team. And that's when we win, we say, see, that wins. Um, maybe that's what makes us, you know, makes us win or whatever. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean I'm, I'm glad that I'm connected to it at all. I mean, I, I've had dinner a couple of times with the owner and his mm-hmm. wife. And both, I mean, I see how much they care about Oklahoma City, and I'm involved a lot in things here in Oklahoma City in my little part of the community. And so, um, and I don't try to make a big deal out of that. I mean, I'm really uh, probably the most self-serving person doing it. I'm really doing it <laughs> to help myself because I live here as well, you know. Um, but yeah, it is. I, I think that's, that's part of why when we go to Germany or Spain, people like them because it's a little, there's, it's that, it's that sort of, um, it's, it doesn't seem narcissistic and it doesn't seem attention seeking. It seems about just, it is, it is about respect and, and being aware of your, you know, your influence on perhaps younger people and stuff. And they're great at that. They're really great at that. Right. Um, Wayne, we want to thank you for your time before we let you go. What's what's next for you? What's next for the Lips? You guys working on a new album now? I think. Well, we've been working on this this thing. There was a lot of collaborations over the past year and a half, and a lot of frenzy of trying to get work done because it wasn't just our schedule we were working on. And in between all that, you know, we'd have occasional quiet moments where we were making some other music, and that's really turned into what's going to be our next record that comes out in January. And of course, we're lucky we get to play all over the world and you know, even design our own shows and things like that. And, and we also know that you got a, uh, the musical stage production of Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots in this November in La Jolla. Is that we correct? We do. I mean, they're starting, yeah, they're starting to sort of what they call workshop this thing to see if they can build it into what might be some giant Broadway musical two years down the line. So wow. That's, I mean, that's, that's insanely exciting. We've been working on that for almost eight years now. So there's a, wow. That's a big that's a big achievement. I try to remember, you know, even if it doesn't turn into the biggest thing ever, just to have, you know, just have this, that sort of attention paid to it. And it's got this great storyline now. And, you know, to think that people are out there singing my songs um, twice a day somewhere in the world <laughs> with, a, with, with an audience that isn't necessarily a flaming up audience telling this great story. Um, if you would have said that was going to happen, I'd say, no way. I, you know, you can't believe that. So, yeah, it's great. That's awesome. Uh, Wayne, we thank you for your time, and, um, you know, thunder up, man. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, thanks for having me on. It was fun. It was fun getting to talk about them. All right. Actually, thanks, Wayne. All right. Bye, Lang, and bye, Saku. You know what? I, um, I'm going to have to get, get on my uh, playlist here on my iPod and throw some flaming lips on there, because I'll admit I, I'm not a big rock and roll head, um, but this dude, is he's like one of my all-time favorite guests now. He used, he used like seven or eight uh, key words that always make me laugh when I hear somebody talking. So I got I got to put uh, Wayne Coyne at the he's on the he's on the Hang Time podcast hot list. This is one of my new favorite guys. You know, the interesting thing to me is that he said some things that I think make a lot of sense, sort of like karmically about seeing things done well and all that. Yeah, and yeah, I was just yeah. thinking like. Sports fans listening to that would just be like, are you out of your mind? <laughs> oh, but I think, you know what? Like when he talked about how when the Lakers did a, a interesting play and he found himself applauding, I mean, don't you kind of, you know, begrudgingly respect sometimes when another team does something that's pretty amazing like that? Oh, I totally agree with it. I just think yeah. there are a lot of people that have yeah, a hard time the, doing it. In the sports it. world, that's like, that's flashy, you know. 
you, right. Mike is not going to cheer for Oklahoma under any circumstances, no matter how well they do it. You know what? But but I under, I think he's absolutely right. If you come to it from his perspective, kind of a a much more broad, you know, even keeled perspective about well, sports, yeah. and not from the passionate, you know, hooligan side. It it does look different to you. You do right. have a finer appreciation for. And I think you're yeah you're cheering you for know, it from like an yeah. aesthetic perspective. Exactly. We'll yeah. Have to get him to join cool. us when we do the Hangtime podcast from Rio in 2016. <laughs> oh, I think that could be quite the party. Uh, if he hangs out with us in real <laughs> That would be fun. Yes. Um, I think we should get Wayne Coyne and uh, Genesis Rodriguez. The Hangtime All-Stars. Uh, yes, the All-Star, <laughs> the Hangtime All-Star podcast live from Rio nonstop for the, for the duration of the Olympics in 2016. What do you think? I'm in. Yeah, yeah now we got to find somebody to foot the bill. Like, yeah. Fat chance. Um <laughs> Well, boys, I, I apologize again for being uh, absent so long, um, but duty called, and and uh, and now vacation calls, so I'm gonna I'm gonna retire to the Batcave here until uh, until further notice. But the next time somebody trades Dwight Howard and I'm not around to 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 chime in or to weigh in on it, would you please wake me up or please send an APB out for me so I can. I, I, I really feel like I missed it, man. I feel like being in London when it happened, I just felt so detached. I was like, man, Dwight gets traded, and we are in, we're 8,000 miles or whatever it is away. We can't even get in on the fun. We saw those emails. Hey, they got they got us really busy over here in London. I don't know if we're out of time to do a podcast. Well, <laughs> I have to go I'm to the Olympics. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm, I'm actually taking out on vacation later this week, too. So, um we get back, it's going to be time to, to get cranking on this thing. Yeah, man, we'll be back in the blender. Training camps won't be far off. And uh, and with the white, that kind of puts the capper on a crazy free agent summer, you know, trade summer, whatever you want to call it. I mean, it, it he was the last big chip to fall in, in a summer that saw a lot of moves made. Um, I mean, listen, I'll put it to you this way, Lane. Let's, let's do the first podcast of training camp live from from Lakers training camp in L.A. or wherever they're going to have it. I say we go to L.A. and do the first podcast live. What do you think? Uh, I'm, a, I'm up for it if we can. I'm I guess whoever pays for that Rio trip is going to have to pay for that one too. But Yeah, we'll, get a, we'll, we'll, try, we'll try and butter them up with an L.A. trip before Micah, we get the, throw the Rio thing at them. So, Micah, start up a Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can make this thing happen. Exactly. Well, listen, we appreciate it. And uh, we pre- absolutely thank our guests for coming on today. Kurt Heelan from uh, NBCSports.com's Pro Basketball Talk and Wayne Coyne of the Flaming Lips, um, our new our new house band here on the Hangtime Podcast. The official rock band of the Hangtime Podcast. That's right. If they, hey, if they'll take have the we job. had other musicians on the show before? I'm trying to remember. Uh, we had uh, Michael Bivens, right? That's right. We, we have, have we? Yeah, we had we had a, another music legend on the show, baby. That girl is poison. Um, but yeah, we we've definitely had some other musicians, but I think Wayne Coyne might qualify as the most interesting musician we've had on the show so far. He's he's a deep thinker. He was I'm great. Impressed. I'm definitely impressed. So, but listen, we'll be back soon, and uh, we hope you join us next time right here on the Hangtime Podcast. Go dogs! Thanks for listening to the Hangtime Podcast. To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store. Be sure to check out the Hangtime blog on NBA.com. And for more of Lang, visit SlamOnline.com. You can follow Seku and Lang on Twitter at SekuSmithNBA and Lang with it. The Smyrna Spartans have yet to get on Twitter, but we'll let you know when they do. matchup between your two favorite teams and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with american express you breeze through the card member entrance stop by the lounge now it's almost tip off and everyone's already on their feet this is gonna be good see how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with amex don't live life without it eligible american express card required benefits vary by card and by venue terms apply